Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Andre LaRue. I'm the chair of the Medford Community Development Board, and I opened the July 21st, 2021. This meeting, uh, meeting is being recorded. Okay, let me just, uh, so this, the email from uh, Dave Proctor, uh, basically says the MWRA should be involved um, as an 8M permit will be required along with the water sewer separator, the eight inch water cervix will need to be replaced um, as Elizabeth Grady uh, is also on the eight inch water line that supplies, also supplies fire service, sewer would need to be videoed. Um, so I, I'm just wondering if there's somebody on the call who can kind of clarify what's going on there. I don't know if Mike Avani, you can do that. I think so. Um, so we we actually met with Peter Krieger this morning. Uh, so maybe I can clarify some of stuff. First of all, all the comments from the engineering department, including the traffic ones, um, the, in the menu that was offered in the traffic ones, were amenable to that. There were some things there that were comfortable moving forward with, and everything that. Um, Tim mentioned in his letter all make sense and they're all readily achievable um, regarding the water. So when we met with Peter today, we learned, you know, I, if you go out there, you chase these water gates all the way up through the, uh, the adjacent property at 222 Boston Ave, which is the larger four-story Elizabeth Grady building. And there's water gates that go all the way up to North Ave, uh, North Street. So, I had, uh, we had, we had made the assumption that that was uh, a looped connection when we met with Peter today, when I, I spoke with Peter, I spoke with Peter Tuesday, he said, let me dig up some maps and I'll meet you there this morning. So we met with him this morning and we kind of learned that it might only be a two inch line that comes off of North Ave to, to, that serves the 222 and 230 and that it potentially terminates there. There's an eight inch line on our site that runs between the buildings that gives fire, uh, the preserve, that provides the fire service to 222. There's also uh, an eight inch line that runs down the north driveway on our property that connects to, is the fire service for 196 Boston Ave, which is the building adjacent to the north building. What we talked about with Peter was, okay, a couple of options. There was an option to do a triple gate connection um, as we've proposed on the plans. And he seemed to think that that would work. It was also a, um, a next step, next level option, which would be connect that line that runs from the North driveway to the one that, run, that serves the building through the garage. Now it might be a hundred feet of pipe that we could install to then, then at least have a connection from two locations and, Peter thought that would be acceptable as well. Then the third thing we talked about was that um, as, as we've learned and the city may be aware, um, the Elizabeth Grady, that property, they're looking to kind of redevelop that as well, potentially in the near future. And there's a possibility if something happens on that site that um, the requirement would be for um, that development to take an eight inch line from North Ave and run it down the driveway and connect it to the eight inch line that's already there creating another loop. So there are, there were some very achievable options there that uh, Peter presented. And I think um, 
all of them, uh, different, different levels of options that um, can be, can be enacted to make this satisfactory to the water department. And we're, we're comfortable continuing to work with them on this. Okay. Uh, Tim McGivern, did you have, you see you're unmuted. I don't know if you wanted to comment on that at all. Um, I can comment on it, that it sounds reasonable. Basically the issue is um, without having a loop, <clears throat> you only have one source for fire. So you obviously can't isolate that. So you shut it off, the building doesn't get water or if there's a shoot, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So um, what, he, what, what, what he was talking about is creating that loop and it sounds like three different ways, right? So, you know, and, and what we're talking about now does, you know, and Dave had, sounds like he had some information regarding water quality in there and, and age of pipes and things like that, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, all, all of that usually will come out when they do the fire flow test. If they do a fire flow test and the flows aren't high enough and it's an eight inch line, it means that it's most likely, you know, tuberculated or in bad condition or whatever. Um, but, you know, it goes back to, it's a private site main so what i'm looking for is that they're meeting standards for fire protection for their building on the site on uh, the site water system uh, and, and so it sounds like what i'm saying is consistent with what the meeting with the water department uh how that went so i'm, I'm just going to confirm that i'll talk to those guys i'm sure anyway okay thank you and uh, uh todd blake can you uh speak a little bit to your perspective on what's being proposed in terms of the, the you know, pedestrian environment, parking, traffic, et cetera. I was just wondering too, Andre, if we were gonna hear from World Tech and like get a summary of their traffic study at all. Uh, do we have someone? Yep. I believe yep. okay. Rod Emery from World Tech is uh, available. Okay, so maybe, um, why don't we do that then, Todd, you can kind of address all of it at once. Is that all right? Sure. Okay. <clears throat> Again, this is Rod Emery from World Tech Engineering. And we did a traditional traffic impact study for the area. Um, probably where we started was the study area. We sort of had a block around the site, you know, Mystic Valley Parkway, um, Boston Ave, North Ave, and Auburn Street sort of formed this um, circle around the site. We performed traffic counts last March. Um, they formed the basis of the existing volume network. We factored them up for um, seasonal conditions and growth as well as the pandemic, we, we applied some factors to that. We could, and uh, we created a uh, seven year down the road, a 2028 uh, no build network. So as, if nothing was happening at the site, this is what traffic would look like at these intersections. Just to say Mystic Valley Parkway carries about three times as much traffic as Boston Avenue and Boston Ave is a, a minor arterial in the city. We also crossed a couple of jurisdictions. Mystic Valley Parkway is, belongs to DCR. We're right on the Somerville border. So we, we have some interesting crossovers there. Um, we, we, after we built the no build network, we applied some traffic volumes based on the build condition, which was uh, what was 67,000 square feet of research and development. And actually, um, we were a little bit on the conservative side, the 3,000 square feet of um, 
um, amenity space is actually included in the 67. We put it outside and actually added traffic to it based on not a not a, a Starbucks, but a what we call a casual restaurant. And actually, the casual restaurant at 3,000 square feet uh, generated as much peak hour traffic as the 67,000 square feet of research and development. So we think we created a fairly conservative picture of traffic impacts. Obviously, the signals on the corners of most of these intersections work reasonably well. Um, the Sig Valley Parkway has some long queues, but they, they serve a lot of traffic through, through their lanes. I think the signals are pretty old. Um, we looked at levels of service on along Boston Avenue and the driveways called come out at A level of service, which is the best. And some of the side streets uh, in the residential neighborhood. Um, the uh, DCR is in the midst of doing, they just released their parkways master plan. And this section of course is included uh, in their master plan, all the parkways they're doing. And there seems to be a theme of them eliminating uh, lanes to try to improve pedestrian and bicycle uh, accommodation. So uh, we did a supplementary analysis in the appendix um, for Mystic Valley Parkway as if it was a one-lane roadway instead of a you know two-lane roadway as it is today. Most of the problems we found were not operational problems, but they were the two Mystic Valley, the two DCR locations are high crash locations. And so um, more of the effort is on the safety aspects of, of the intersections. We did look at uh, the impacts. Um, we have something like, uh, at the most, we capped um, the additional traffic at under 20 cars per hour per intersection. So as they spread out and they dissipate, there, there was minimal impacts. We had a couple of seconds of more delay, a, a couple, maybe 15 feet of more queuing space. We thought that the uh, signals on Mystic Valley Parkway could be improved by some timing adjustments. We feel their, their clearance intervals are fine, but their crash rate is really due to the large volume of traffic that they, they um, service. Uh, you know, in two lanes of road that are very tight, they're very tight lanes, there's no shoulders, and the turning traffic has to stop in the middle of a through lane and it makes it so a, a very um, hard situation. One of the things that was interesting is they had a lot of crashes that happened during rainy conditions or wet pavement conditions, which surprised me, uh, just at Auburn and, Mount, and Mystic Valley Parkway. Um, one of the recommendations in the Parkway's master plan was that they wanted somebody to do an analysis of the one lane road in which we provided in the uh, in, in our traffic study. So kind of really fast that kind of wraps up the study and I can comment on Todd's recommendations or I can we can have a little conversation about that. I, I think there are some really good kind of, um, recommendations here on bicycle, bus and pedestrian facilities that we can incorporate into the project. There are some other recommendations at the Mystic Valley Parkway intersections, adding signal heads and back plates and um, some lens changes, which can be more difficult when you have old signals that structurally the some of the mast arms um, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to absorb all that extra weight and, and wind load. Uh, we did we did point out that they really should have a road safety audit done to sort of come up with a menu of a full menu of um, safety improvements that go with those two two signalized locations. But 
I'll end it there. This is Jackie Potato. I have a point of clarification. Um, if you can go back to when you spoke on um, the level of service A, were you referring to Boston Ave or Mystic pa Valley Parkway, Route 16? Uh, Boston Ave, where the, where the side streets and driveways are. Where the side streets and driveways are as a level of A, which, and you said right. it was high. Can we unpack? You said it was the highest level. Can we unpack what the highest level meant? That literally means that it's free flow traffic with individual users virtually unaffected by the presence of others in the traffic stream. So what you're saying is that the Boston app that you've taken up, and, and this is in peak hours, and peak hours, would that include when the Tufts University students? Because that's pretty much a grad area. I, I lived right at 258 Boston Ave, and I, I just don't see level service A, and I'm just trying to figure out what your peak hours were. The, uh, the, the basic um, measure of level of service is based on how many seconds of delay you have to wait to make a maneuver. So at a signal, you're, you're going back and forth between the main street and the side street and cars are delayed a certain average number for the whole intersection. And sometimes one approach can be um, closer to, uh, to failure than it is an A-level service. Certainly the signals are not at A-levels of service. The driveways are how long you have to wait to come out of a driveway. Basically, Boston Ave doesn't stop for the side streets or the driveways coming out. So it's really just looking at how long does it take a driver to come out of a driveway onto Boston Ave. And that's without taking it. I'm just trying to figure it out. I, I do know that it's a minor arterial, Boston Ave, right? But then you have the cross connector there. Actually, they're all trying to get to connectors, which are major highways, which whether it's going... Um, East, uh, west or east on, on 16. I'm just, I'm having a hard time seeing, um, I'm just having a hard time with, with the study without seeing the, the actual details behind the study, not just from living there, but also being a Tufts alum in that area and just having, I also have a project over in that area with the green line coming and, and, and right there on Route 16. So I'm just having a hard time seeing um, that having a level service of A, that's all. Again, it's really the side street that's being that would on a driveway or an unsignalized location. There's certainly the signals that Boston and North Street is more like a B, I think, a level of service. I remember right. And I think Boston Ave at the Mystic Valley Parkway is a B as well. But there are certain approaches that are approaching capacity. So I, I don't want to mislead you that okay. overall level of service, we do factor all the approaches together and sort of average them. Sometimes there's one or two of them that are really close to capacity and would be like an E-level of service. Okay. E meaning the, the worst failing and, and, and- No, F, F, is, F is failing. Yeah. F is failing at capacity more than, right. I just wanted to make sure. So you did a collective overall of the area and the, the site affecting the property is what you're saying is level of A only. Okay, so, all right, thank you. No, no further questions. I just wanted clarity. Yeah, maybe we could go to uh, it's a Todd Blake uh, Blake from the city just to uh, comment on what we've, we're hearing and also your recommendations, Todd. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, so yeah, as I mentioned in our comment letter, um, basically due to the you know two high crash locations, high crash rate locations that this project will contribute traffic to, and also um, just the net trips it's adding in the peak hours and the AM peak, it's adding 35 PM peak 75 and daily 1600. Um, just as other reviews we've done, uh, you know, we would 
point out that any additional um, new trips may, may exacerbate existing issues such as the crash history at those two Mystic Valley Parkway locations. And also whatever you can do to promote transit, cycling and pedestrian access that would reduce uh, the vehicle uh, impacts to the neighboring um, community, that road, those intersections. So, so my recommendations are based on that, the proportional, what I believe is proportional relatively for this project to the area. And um, I recommend a menu of options for the board or, and or the proponent to consider, um, you know, and by no means an exhaustive list, um, but it just gives a sampling of what could be possible. So for, for the cycling amenities, uh, just looking at uh, kind of upgrading the Boston Ave bike lanes and sharrows that are out there now to emphasize especially the, the uh, conflict points for the cyclists where the bike lane crosses side streets and possibly super sharrows on the downhill sharrow just to further emphasize those um, amenities for cyclists to further encourage cycling. And then for pedestrians, uh, the two crosswalks that would that are unsignalized crosswalks crossing towards the site um, to enhance them in any way possible and to if there's deficient in um, accessibility to do that as well. So the safety wise, um, you know, this, there's so much that could be done at those two intersections. You know, it's not necessarily, you know, shouldn't this proponent should be held to fix all those. So that's why I was trying to recommend some things that are somewhat proportion that could add some measure of safety to those to hopefully reduce some crashes. Um, and as Rod pointed out, some of the equipment is pretty old. So, you know, they could look at it and see what they recommend with, you know, with in consultation with DCR or, or Somerville in the case of Boston Ave at Mystic Valley. Um, one thing I, I really noticed today going back out there is in the eastbound direction on Mystic Valley Parkway. Um, it's the only approach of the two intersections that doesn't have an overhead component. So there's a mast arm with the signal head facing the westbound traffic, but not the eastbound traffic at Boston Ave and uh, Mystic Valley Parkway. And coming on that approach, there's only two side mounted and one of them's preclude uh, trees are blocking the view of one and the other is momentarily at times behind a post. So the addition of an overhead uh, signal head in that approach could, you know, could incrementally improve safety there, uh, visibility of the signal and make people aware of the red or green prior to. And Rod did point out a good, a good point about the load uh, if it's hanging versus, um, you know, um, mounted onto the arm, maybe it won't contribute to the wind load that much, one extra head. So it's something to consider. Um, things like that, you know, the, the signal system, it's so old that it still has incandescent bulbs versus LEDs. They're not as visible. They go out much often, much more often. So usually those types of bulbs will go out every six months or so, whereas LED will last a few years and it's brighter. So you know, something as simple as a bulb going out in a red not being visible for that one that is visible in the eastbound could be, you know, contribute to safety in a substantial way. So um, just trying to give the board and the proponent menu of options to improve safety and, and reduce vehicle trips. Thank you, Mr. Blake. So, Mr. Emery, could you just go quickly through um, 
in terms of the the on-site and off-site uh, possibilities, which ones, since we are tasked as a board with making some recommendations to the ZBA, what uh, you feel is uh, uh, is doable here and which ones you might have issue with? Um, certainly, as I said uh, originally that the um, bicycle facilities, which Todd talked about painting some of the bike lanes, uh, some of the conflict areas, uh, the bus stops, there's a bench. And um, the pedestrian, the, some of the additional warning signs. I am not sure what this, I mean, we'll certainly look into some of the additional signal heads at the Mystic Valley Parkway, but with DCR headed toward, you know, some kind of different um, plan for the parkway, which probably won't happen recently, you know, short term, but um, maybe there's maybe there's some simple improvements we can come up with to try to improve visibility of the signals there. I'm, I'm just not sure at this point, you know, until we sort of get into the weeds a little bit on the design, what we could do there. Certainly backplates, new bulbs are a little bit easier than uh, replacing overhead. Once you go to overhead signals, um, I'm, I'm not afraid, but I, I know we'd have to check the mast arms to see structurally whether they could hold it. Okay. Yeah, some, some other minor things I noticed is that the visors on some of the signal heads are missing. So that typically implies that they're getting hit when trucks take the corner. So, so they could be either replaced or consider repositioning a post so it doesn't get hit or protected with the bollard, things like that. Um, at Boston Ave at North, it's not necessarily a high crash location, but there is a post that's really close to the corner that could use some protection. Um, and at that signal, there's also two signal heads that still have eight inch signal lenses, which is not really uh, usable at this point anymore. 12 inches is the standard. So yeah, whatever, I don't know, Rod, if, if your team has some, or if you want to take a look at what you think you can do it within uh, the recommended amounts. Um, Mr. Blake, would it make sense to focus on items on your list that are that are within Medford's jurisdiction. Uh, it seemed like that, that way the two parties could get together and, and decide what really makes sense to get done and know we can do it, as opposed to some of these other items that involve multiple jurisdictions. Is there, uh, enough, there, is there enough there on the Medford, on Medford uh, land that would um, be commensurate with the value and the, and the, the size of the project that's being proposed? Yeah, I don't have a detailed cost for all of these, but but there may be enough to to piece together to meet that proportion um, in the Medford owned sections. I mean, it is very peculiar how that small portion of Boston Ave is in Somerville, um, but a lot of Medford residents obviously use it coming from the West Medford side. So they traverse over that short section of Somerville and one of the crosswalks, I believe, is in Somerville at Irving. So, um, you know, there was even consideration of possibly realigning those two crosswalks to be better positioned to serve the new uh, development, especially if there's a cafe casual restaurant at the corner there. Um, so yeah, I guess the, the answer is there may be enough to, um, to meet those needs in the Medford portion. Um, but then, you know, 
the downside would be potentially the, the improvements are all on, you know, one side or, or not necessarily equally distributed to where the trips may be equally distributed to, but. Uh, can I just add that, like the traffic study assumes in those results that the signal timing is optimized and changed. So in order to get those results, we have to include uh, signal timing updates um, at the DCR signals. Rob, sorry, I missed, I, my internet keeps going out. So I missed part of your <laughs> presentation, but um, I definitely think that some, um, I don't know what, is there any uh, approvals that from DCR that you already have to go through? Uh, maybe Mike, I don't think we do. Not at this time, no. I mean, I know Deanna's right about the, you know, the, the build analysis with mitigation, but what I was mitigating was a two or three second increase in delays. So um, it was just to show the math that we could do it with just some signal timing adjustments. Um, but still the, the impacts are very, very minor even, even without it. So I, you know, I, I'm happy to um, to DCR about it, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where the head is, I guess, because they're looking to do other things on the parkway. They, they discourage traffic rather than encourage it to be more efficient. Yeah, that makes sense. I just wanted to point out that in order to sure, see sure. the changes that you present in the report, we did no build without the changes. And then we, we showed that in order to mitigate a three or four second um, and delays that you know we can certainly make it better with just some timing changes. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, Jackie, I see you're unmuted. Would you like to say something? No. Sorry, not at this time. Do all, any other board members want to uh, speak up at this time before I open the public participation uh, portion of the, the hearing? Okay, why don't we uh, open the, the public participation portion of the hearing. Uh, if any resident or that would like to make a comment, uh, please use the raise hand function at the bottom of the Zoom screen. You can also send an email to ocd at medford-ma.gov um, and you can call, let me just get the number again. Uh, you can also call 781-393-2480. Right, I see Ken Krause has his hand raised. You could unmute him, that would be great. Uh, go ahead, Ken. Thank you. Uh, again, Ken Krause, 50 Mystic Street. Um, I'm in support of this. Um, Addition to 200 Boston Avenue, I think it's going to be good for the city in terms of economic development, revenue, additional jobs in the city. And I'm also hoping it's a catalyst for um, continued planning for phase two of the Green Line extension, which is to bring a additional station just next door to um, this property. 
The one thing I'm uh, concerned about a little bit from the community impact is the um, emission of light from the building at night. Um, these life sciences companies frequently have international headquarters and partners and the lights are off and on at 200 Boston Avenue early and late. Uh, they're not too significant in terms of the impact of the neighborhood at that side of the building because there's the commuter rail corridor, <clears throat> excuse me, and then Walkling Court behind it. It's kind of set back in a little lower elevation. But as I've pointed out, this is going to be a significant change for the abutters uh, across Boston Avenue. There's about 10 homes directly facing this, and there's a low level parking deck now in one corner of it is just surface parking and they're going to have now uh, a five-story wall of, uh, of a building end-to-end -end there which is going to pretty dramatically change the view from their perspective so as this goes forward I just hope that the, the planners can keep in mind keeping the light uh, reduced that comes out of the building whether it be shades on the windows or just the lights inside the parking area while they'll be screening, the lights will still be visible. So one of the negative uh, things about this area is the U-Haul building uh, for the, in terms of its impact on the neighborhood, it is extremely over illuminated. If you're ever down there at night, the building, it's actually in Somerville and it's not a Cummings building, but it is grossly over illuminated in the West Medford area. You can see it for, blocks and this is we don't want something anywhere near that i don't think cummings would do that they're an excellent uh corporate citizen and they they want to do right by the community so i just hope they would keep that in mind and if the community development board can make a condition of that or a, just a emphasis of that to minimize the emission of light from the building at uh, particularly in the in the night hours so, thank you Great, thank you, Ken. Uh, does anyone, can anyone on the project team speak to the light issue? I think that's a good one. Yeah, Mr. Avani. Thank you, uh, great point. Um, so interestingly enough, the, the garage for certain, we have multiple properties that have garages and we, we set the lights up so that they're on occupancy sensors so the lights won't be on all the time. Somebody drives by and needs a light, the light will go on. Somebody doesn't need the light, the light goes off. So I think the garage section certainly will, will generically be minimal, hopefully. The, the building section is very interesting. We can certainly work with the prospective tenants to do things like shading or um, I know these, these buildings, uh, it's absolutely correct. There's a lot of international companies and, um, you know, it's tough to, the buildings are open. I'm going to say that they're open 24 seven clients can use them however they want. And usually you get people in there at six or seven in the morning and they work till, you know, whenever at night that's necessary. We can certainly work with them to when they're not there to make sure that, um, the accommodations are made so that we're not disturbing our neighbors like that for sure. We're happy to work towards that. Could you speak a little bit more about the, the landscaping? I'm assuming that the footprint of the building um, is going to match the deck that's there already. So you're not actually going to increase the buffer, the landscape buffer, are you? And 
I know there's a couple of small kind of runtish trees there right now. I, mm -hmm. I assume you probably have to take those out, but what's the, are you gonna plant more trees? Says that trees could be one way of screening, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, properties across the street from that visual impact. Uh, absolutely. Can I share my screen just to, to go back to one, one rendering? Is that okay? Yeah, that'd be great, Amanda, if you could do that. I'm so sorry. I, was, I, um, it's okay. I think you Mike, you have permission to share yeah, screen. You, can do it. you should choose just the window that you want. There you go. Can you see it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the, the objective here is you're absolutely right. We're building within the existing footprint of the of the garage as it exists today. And you're right, there's some there is some you know landscaping that goes along uh, between the garage and the and the uh, generously wide sidewalk that's there now. We're going to obviously probably have some challenges with that just to, to get it built. And as you can see here, we have planted some additional trees. We'll replant that whole area. There'll be some uh, some amen out, outdoor amenity space here for whatever amenity kind of winds up utilizing the lower floor, but there will be trees along uh, along the building. There will potentially be any exterior lighting, um, lighting that we put on the building just to accentuate the, the, the lower level that's going to be interacting with, um, with the sidewalk. We'll use um, down lights. There'll be, nothing will be shining out. It'll all be shining down, um, similar to dark sky compliant lights to make sure that we're, we're, we're down lighting and not light polluting the area. If that answers your question. Yeah, I guess I was just looking at those trees to see if they do any shading of the building, but they look pretty small there. The, the, yeah, those, those are probably how we're going to buy them. <laughs> Maybe they're a little smaller when we buy them, but it won't take long before they're big. We, yeah. we, we like trees and uh, we, we will be generous with what we do there if this project is approved. Um, Mike also uh, recommended internally, and we've incorporated into the program, the elimination of some interior parking spaces on that north side of the building to create more green space, and maybe more equally importantly, some more patio space, outdoor recreation area or outdoor support space for a coffee shop or a casual restaurant that we hope to attract into the building. And please be assured that our concept for amenity space there is neighborhood scale. If it's going to be successful and we want it to be successful, if we build space and nobody wants to lease it, that's a failure. Um, it, it's going to need to be amenities that, that are really attractive to people on campus, but also in the surrounding neighborhood in order to be viable. And if the neighborhood wants a more local flavor to it, we'd love that. We, we want to put in there whatever is going to be uh, attractive to everybody in the area and therefore well, uh, you know, well, um, well used. And uh, so that's, that's our intent. That's our goal. Yeah. My suggestion might be to protect that area a little bit more. Um, you know, I've seen uh, lots of situations where you have those small outdoor patio areas along fairly busy roadways and with the noise and with uh, you know full sun, they're not very you know pleasant places to be. So uh, if you could get a couple more trees over on that corner, helping to shade the patio area, I think that would be helpful. 
Um, and I don't know to the extent uh, there's, you know, what you can do about the, the sidewalk along Boston Ave. I know it's a, it's a big sidewalk and it doesn't seem like you, it's in pretty good shape according to the city. So um, there's, you know, not full replacement, but maybe fixing spots that, uh, that have problems. Um, I don't know if it's possible to put in some, um, some new tree wells, uh, you know, along the sidewalk as well. Uh, the more vegetation that can kind of protect that such a straight shot there with the traffic that, you know, that really discourages, I think, a feeling of safety and the, you know, the noise level when you have traffic going by at that level is uh, not great. Duly noted. Thank you. There are some existing trees that are not, that are in the sidewalk that are not shown on that rendering. Um, there's three of them, three sizable trees that will remain. Um, so we, we can absolutely ex, um, extend the tree wells on that as well. And again, fill that, fill those gaps in with some trees on, on the, uh, in the 15 foot setback area. Um, can I, may I just, sorry, Andre, this is Alicia yes. Hunt, director, ahead, director, just because it's part of this conversation. Um, if we're get, put in some, I'm, jotting down some notes about a condition around trees. And what I would recommend is that uh, consultation with our tree warden, who is really an expert on right tree, right place, to talk about um, appropriate height, that what, will, what height would the trees grow to without having concern about disruptive, disrupting the sidewalk. Um, and I am pleased to hear you say that you want to keep the sidewalk trees that are there and you don't feel that they're in the way of the construction. Um, and I might consult with Tim and Todd on this, whether if they were, if the um, company was amenable, if there was space, because I can see that too close to the, the road is a problem, too close to the building is a problem, but to consult with our staff and the tree warden on whether additional sidewalk trees would work on that sidewalk since it's so large and that that might help could we put larger trees if they were next to the road versus next to the building um, and if that's something that we could consider there we're certainly open to that thank you and we have uh there's going to be striping, I guess, on the side streets along Boston Ave. Um, and is the there existing ramps there, cutting across those uh, those entryways? Sorry, I haven't didn't look at that closely. Sorry, do you mean their driveways, or are you talking about the side streets? Yeah, uh, I think their driveways. The driveways into Ave. the 200 at Boston Ave area. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there, all, all sidewalks would need to be ADA compliant. Right. So they're at like level grade with the sidewalks on either end or are there ramps? The sidewalks die right into it. So it's all, um, it, I actually went out there with the smart level Monday night and they're all within the, um, um, the mass AAB. Uh, percent that they can be um, 
there are some slight drops, but it's it's all kind of level. It's all nice, goes up well, less than 2%. Okay, actually, I'm looking at it right now on uh, Street View, Google Street View. Okay, yeah. I can actually show folks if they just want to see it real quick. Mr. Chair, if I may. Uh, yes, go ahead, Mr. Mr. Blake. Yeah, so as you're depicting in the street view, what Tim had mentioned earlier is for most projects now, you know, we either want them to continue the sidewalk treatment, so cement concrete with a driveway apron across, much like the Locust Street project, or if it's kept this way where the asphalt pavement is the driveway and you have ramp on either side, then you would paint the crosswalk across the driveway as if it were a street. So mm -hmm. one of those, one of those two, if it stayed like this, it would have a painted crosswalk. If it, or you could construct it in such a way it looks like a continuous version of the sidewalk. Yeah, and today those sidewalks are that that the apron is compliant. So I think I would probably leave it there. And I think the crosswalk's not a bad idea, and it will also help the traffic calming as well. Can I ask a question on this view? Yeah, absolutely. So where would where would the proposed building face be in relation to what we're seeing the face of the garage is today? Pretty much the same spot. Same spot. So the same, you'd have the same buffer strip. Yeah, it's about 15 feet. From the curb or from the sidewalk? Uh, from the property line, which I believe is the back of the sidewalk. Yeah, so that dimension between the back of the sidewalk and the face of the building is 15 feet. And that would be maintained. Correct. And here's one of the street trees we were talking Wait, about. So you... oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Mr. Clark, go ahead. It's probably worth pointing out that our plan involves recycling most of that parking structure. A lot of firms might come in and just knock it down and ship it off and start over again. Uh, but we think the most efficient and sustainable, cost efficient and sustainable way to do this project is to recycle most of the existing structure. And that's why the footprint is the footprint with the exception of this modest uh, demolition on the, the south side that Mr. Avani mentioned earlier in his presentation. But you're you're going to have to excavate out for your for your spread footings, right? Mike and Brian, can you speak to that? Yeah, within the setback. Yep, but they'll be below ground. Yeah. Okay. And there's going to be a lot of internal footings too. We're actually, uh, actually, you know what? And Brian, you can help me out here. The perimeter footings on this on uh, that are there now will remain untouched. We're going to come in, it might be 10 feet, and then do another row of footings inside there so that the tributary load for that last 10 feet is only, it's only about five feet of it that's going to be in the existing footings. I think we have a scheme where we can leave the existing footings and not excavate around the perimeter. Yes, Mike, uh, Miss Mike, that's correct. And the, the board can see that indicated on the plans that were submitted. Uh, columns marked in red are new, uh, which require new footings, but that's inboard of the 
current perimeter of the garage. Good, thank you. Great to hear that you're going to be reusing a lot of that. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Blake, you raise your hand again. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chair. I just wanted to circle back to something Dennis had asked in terms of possible traffic mitigation within the city. Uh, looking at it some more, uh, if the proponent wanted to offer something like extending the enhanced bicycle lane conflict markings and super share treatments beyond what was originally recommended to, you know, up to say Winthrop Street or even as far as the Green Line Station or across, you know, into West Medford, you probably could achieve um, the level of improvements in Medford owned property. So say for instance, the green markings at the con all the conflict points on the side streets and super shares were extended all the way up to say the Green Line Extension uh, station, the new one, then that would definitely um, enhance and increase the likelihood of people cycling, you know, from that area to the site or vice versa. So the answer is it could could reach the the recommended proportion within Medford if if the board decided to go that route with those types of improvements. When you, can you explain, Mr. Blake, just the super shallow, uh what sure. that would entail? Sure. So the uphill, as as all of you likely know, the uphill direction of Boston Ave has a bike lane separate from the travel lane, but in the downhill direction it has sharrows indicating that cyclists are allowed to travel within the lane and drivers should be aware of them. So right now the sharrows are painted as white markings and a super share would be the same marking, but with a green box background underneath it. So it really stands out and pops in the roadway. Uh, a local example is on Curtis Street in Somerville, right up over the hill from Winthrop Street, Medford. If you go up over the hill into Somerville, down by Raymond and Curtis and Paros Boulevard, they have some. So it's just a, it's just a green background underneath the white chero and it's a square and it's just meant to highlight it even more so than it is now to remind drivers that um to be aware of cyclists in the roadway with them yeah i think that's um that's a fantastic suggestion and i think it's something we'd be happy to uh, consider and uh, work with um, todd in the engineering department on something like that i'll note I think the bike, Medford Bicycle Commission has been asking for, you know, introducing elements like these at the conflict points at crossing streets and super shares like that to make it in areas where we can't fit a bike lane. And uh, Mr. Blake, I mean, on like looking at this right here, see if somebody's even in this picture parked in the bike lane, um, you think it's... Uh, Oh, I don't know if it's there's the bike lane there. <laughs> is that part is that a bike lane or is that parking? I don't really get it. Um, Mr. Chair, um, I, on, on that side of the street, I believe that's parking, and then you have sharrows that hit the indicators, as Mr. Blake said, that uh, bicycles are cycling in the travel lane, and on the opposite side of the street, southbound, you have a dedicated bike lane. 
this, this is the dedicated bike lane, isn't it? That's the parking shoulder. Or that's the parking shoulder, and this is the bike lane? Correct. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it so, almost makes more sense to get rid of the parking lane and make this the bike lane and have uh, some some level of protection um, here with the, uh, not like permanent bollards, but you know, the at least some like flags or something you can put in there. Yeah, the city's open to exploring things like that, but that would involve traffic commission removal of the par on street parking. Um, so working within when when this this was a complete streets project in 2017 and and uh, to add these bicycle accommodations without impacting a whole side of Boston Ave parking, it was able to fit the uphill bike lane and the downhill share. That's the same treatment that's going in a uh, high street near the Brook School of Safe Routes to School project. So whenever, whenever there's not necessarily a clear choice or enough space to, to allocate two bike lanes, the preference is the bike lane, the uphill direction, because it's, um, the bikes are slower and, and out of the stream of the travel lane. Whereas if it's downhill, and then there's no on-street parking that really exists for the residents in that area because almost every street except for North Street is permit parking, correct? And if I'm not mistaken, um, I do believe that the other choices have been 200 Boston Ave parking garage. You've been very generous in allowing residents in Boston Ave to park there. I was part of that when I lived at 258. So I, I, I'm, I was just making that note about um, restructuring that, that parking there, but also note, notate in that um, the parking was at your place. <laughs> so. right. Well, I'm wondering also on this corner, just looking at the bus, uh, the bus stop and then, you know, hopefully there will be more people using the bus stop when your development happens. Um, if there's an opportunity as you're redesigning this area to uh, make it so that people waiting for the bus have some place to you know, get out of the weather or sit down. Yeah, one of the one of the recommendations, one of Todd's recommendations, was to add benches there, and that is something that we'd be happy to you know to do. And there is going to be some hardscape in that area again um, that will have benches and shade, and people could sit there. As a matter of fact, in this rendering that I shared with, there's a parking, there's a bench right in front of the bus stop. Uh, I don't see any other comments from members of the public. Amanda, have you gotten anything? Yes, I had a call-in comment from Tina uh, Rapatino from 81 Marshall Street. She had two kind of points. The first was a concern for noise. Um, there's existing an existing level of noise that impacts residents already. Um, she believes it may be from existing AC or heat um, coming out of buildings. And she's wondering if the proponent would consider um, any efforts to mitigate existing noise that's already impacting residents and also to address noise concerns moving forward. Um, the second half of her comment had to do with um, is there, and maybe this would be addressed by explaining a little bit the nature of, of the work of potential tenants um, that would be moving into this uh, facility, but um, would there be anything that um, anyone that comes in that would potentially add to exhaust or air pollution or 
um, a, just generally a concern for hazardous materials in the area that may impact surrounding residents. Happy to. Would, would you like us to respond, Mr. Chair? Uh, yes, please. Uh, Go ahead, Mike. Either you, one of you. Go ahead, Mike. You lead I'm on. happy to. Thank you. Um, in, interesting comment about the um, the rooftop equipment and noises. When we did the addition in 2011, we heard the same thing, and we had um, city officials come out on, and it was determined it wasn't coming from our building. <laughs> so that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, there will be rooftop equipment there. We will encourage low zone fans, obviously, and if we have to do some screening, or if we have to have the clients do some screening um, to direct the noise straight up and out of, out of out of the direction of the neighbors, where we're comfortable with that. Um, we've just gone as the operators of the existing building, whether whether or not we end up getting approved for this expansion and build it or not, we, we want to relate to neighbors that, that have concerns about uh, operations. So if you want to put her directly in touch mm -hmm. with me, be happy to talk to her more specifically. Also, we, we, we want to understand her, her what she's hearing. Um, awesome. Much, much better answer, Dennis. Thank you so much. Um, regarding the hazardous materials and the pollution, again, this is going to be a, a continuation of what happens in that building now. Um, we don't anticipate this, this, this building is not, does not have any, from what I understand, no bio uh, level three or four users at all. So there's nothing really in there that's, um, it's all bio. Most of the science in there is bio related, not heavy on chemicals or um, other pollutants. And that's how we kind of see this going. That's how the science is now. Um, the building is not overloaded with hazardous materials. There's specific rules and regulations on that, that we're in compliance with as well. I'll add that uh, we as a company have for almost well, 35 years of experience, specifically with life science companies as clients, about 2 million square feet of our total portfolio is occupied by life science companies and also pharmaceutical, meditech, and healthcare. And in our experience, there's some of the most heavily regulated industries out there at both the, the state and the federal level. And uh, most of our buildings are multi-tenanted, so you can have a variety of mixed uses, tenancies right next to each other on the same floor and sharing party walls. You can have an accounting firm, a law firm, general business office, bank, or a restaurant uh, right next door to any of these science-based companies. And to date, we have not had a, a, a health-related problem in any of our buildings. And again, as long-term operators, we are completely invested in the, the operation of our properties. We don't build them and sell them to somebody else and walk away and let problems be somebody else's. So we try our very best to be thoughtful and responsible about what we do. We make mistakes, everybody does, we miss things. But then we, we you know, it's not what happens, it's what do you do about it when things go sideways. And uh, we've never sold a commercial building in the 50 years that the company's operated. I can't sit here and say that will never happen, but the track record to date is where long term, we're long only as real estate investors and operators. So we would, uh, and again, we would be happy to relate to city officials or any members of the public about any of these questions, uh, you know, tonight and any other time. Um, we're, we're, we're here, we're local, we're hands-on and 
and, and let me also say, in case I don't get another chance, I just want to thank everybody for investing the time that you've, you've, you have in reviewing this project before tonight's meeting and, uh, and then discussing it here. We appreciate all the feedback. We appreciate your earnestness. This project's only going to happen if, if you all think that it should happen. We respect that. We appreciate that. And uh, we're, you know, we're listening. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Clark. Uh, Medford Economic Development Director, Victor Schrader, uh, you have, I think, something to say about this topic. Yeah, hi, thank you, Chair. Um, I just thought it would be helpful for the board to know that the Board of Health is reviewing a set of regulations related to biotech and lab uses in, in the city. So um, as, uh, as Dennis mentioned, these are heavy, reg heavily regulated industries at the federal level, but uh, at, the, at the moment, we don't have any requirements that they register with the city um, and report to an oversight board of any kind. So we're, we're hoping to get some, some regulations in place that aren't onerous, but, um, but do require folks to, to touch base with the city uh, before they operate in the community. Thank you, Mr. Schrader. Um, not, well, let's see, Amanda, are you getting another comment? Say for her, it looks like she is the only reason she'd be on the phone right now. Right. Um, looks like a telethon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We put out a phone number so people watching TV can actually call call in. Donations. <laughs> well, while we wait for that, then let me just uh, go back to the board members and ask if anybody uh, has uh, further feedback or questions that they want to raise. I just want to say that I agreed with Todd and all of those suggestions are great and that there's only I know there's only so much we can require. I just um, some of the level of service numbers in the report are pretty concerning and the optimized numbers are much much better. So I don't know if there's another way. Um, like if you look at Boston Ave, the westbound left through right lane under build conditions with no optimization, it's level of service F 80 seconds delay with improvements, it's 36.9 seconds of delay at level of service D. So even though the overall intersection may be only a few seconds improvement, the, some of the approaches are pretty, pretty significant. And I think that the added traffic without changing any of the timing will really uh, make the cues in the delay much worse, but maybe there's another way that that can be uh, improved. So I just wanted to say that. And I just wanted to piggyback off that. Uh, Deanna, I'm not sure if you lost your internet at the time that I was. I'm not a traffic engineer, but I know a lot about um, traffic engineering, right? Um, through traffic engineers. And that was where I was going with that information earlier. And so I would be, um, I, I, would, I would look to, Persons like Deanna and your own traffic engineers, and or even MassDOT engineers, or, or or DCR, someone with that expertise to tell me what those mitigated effects would um, result in. So, um, and it sounds like we're getting there with with um, our engineer Todd Blake, and I guess I would just go along with some of those mitigation, those um, options that you have for mitigation. And that's all I was trying to get to early because I knew that it could not be a level service of A um, on its own. Although we may not 
um, you know, we perhaps can't condition anything, uh, you know, based on DCR, we should definitely would encourage you to at least have open a dialogue with them to see if there's some progress that can be made. Thank you, Andre. And, and that's where I was going with it. Just be open to the dialogue. Uh, getting back to the, the light question, because I do think that this is something that could be problematic for the, the homes across the street. Um, is there any, uh, have you dealt with this before? I mean, there's a lot of glass on that building. Is there a way of getting a certain kind of, uh, of glass that limits the, you know, the light emissions? Uh, I'm not an architect myself, so I can't speak to specific materials, but Perhaps you could. Sure. There's definitely, um, there is a lot of glass in the building. A lot of it's spandrel glass. If you really look at the, um, you know, the, I'd say a third of it's spandrel glass. I think there's some shades that could be used. I don't know that you get the glass to change color. That might be a little challenging. We could certainly look into some constructed options to take it out of the tenant's hands if that's a possibility. We'd be open to looking at it deeper. Okay. Yeah, and can you explain for someone who doesn't know the material spandrel glass, what is that? Yes, absolutely. So I'm, I'm gonna share my screen again one more time. That's okay. Uh, everybody see that? So it, these, these pieces of glass at the low part here, um, at the bottom of each window panel, um, these are spandrel glass. You can't see through them. So light won't come through those. So, you know, about two thirds of this panel, um, light will pass through, but at the bottom, it won't. So it, 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 there is a lot of glass there for effect, but it's not all um, visual. Although this corner, there's a lot of visual glass. So yes, we can, we can continue to look at how we can mitigate that potential issue. Andre, this is uh, Jackie. I'd be curious to know what Clace um, felt about that. Uh, not Clace, not to call you out, but we do have an architect. Quest, <laughs> do you want to? You know, can I, you say anything I, about that issue? Yeah, I mean, spandrel glass is very commonly used, and I think you know their way out of the building facade is seems to be totally in keeping with the. The design of the adjacent building and you know um it, it, it seems appropriate to me a hypocrite <laughs> saying i don't like it because i use it all the time um but Thank i you know you. i think yeah yeah for, for, for me it, the the biggest thing is the is the you know the, the the facade and you know i think in a way i wish there was a way to step the facade back at, maybe even just visually instead of actually physically um, to, to create a, a, a more recessed feel to the upper floors. And I don't know if that means, you know, looking at the more traditional mill aesthetic for the first three floors and doing something of a much more simple and um, monotone color for the upper floor so that they recede and, and don't seem as, as a, uh, overwhelming to the to the street edge I that's just a suggestion I, I don't know um, I did have another question though which was are you are you pursuing any kind of um, uh, lead certification or sustainability 
um, measurement in the building? A good question. Um, we will obviously build this to all current codes and all um, stretch code requirements. Um, we typically build to lead standards. We try to source everything as local as possible. We we could probably get to that point, but we never go for the certification. We typically don't. But I feel like we would be able to get that certification if if we um, so desired. We've never, it, it, our experiences, we've never had a client come up to us and say, oh, we, we really can't lease this building because it's not LEED certified. It just hasn't been as much as it's in, um, it's important to build it to that level, but we it hasn't been a, hasn't been the marketing tool that I think it may or may not be presented as. So I have a question with regards to the interior lighting, you had said that you were could easily commit to occupancy sensors in the garage because that is your standard. Could you commit to occupancy sensors in the public areas um, or in the, sorry, within the um, commercial portion of the building? Um, I don't remember if this corner piece was a public space, like public, you know, the, a lobby and stairwell, or if that's a leased space in the corner. Um, but I could imagine the difference between it glowing all evening and all night versus the occupant's sleeve. There's nobody there and the lights turn out. Yeah. Um, so you're... Um... You quit your comment, this is not a public space at this point in time. We expect that to be part of the lease space. And there are requirements in the um, energy code that there are occupancy sensors. So we will, um, this these buildings will be filled with occupancy sensors. So theoretically, someone would have to make a concerted effort to override them if they wanted to um, keep their lights on all night. And I, I would hope they wouldn't because it's not beneficial to anybody. And I, there was concern about if occupants were there all night, but I think there's also more tolerance for there are people there versus it's empty and shining into people's apartments. And there's one other comment. There had been um, a comment about the, the roof would be solar ready. I believe you're aware of Medford solar ordinance requiring both the assessment and if the assessment says that solar is suitable to install solar, a certain amount of solar on the roof of the building. Um, so I, I'm anticipating that there would be solar on this building. Fine by us. Yeah, we are, we, too. We, we, we are routinely doing solar at our buildings where it makes sense, and especially on parking garages, because you don't compete for roof space with mechanical equipment. And we, in fact, do our own design build. Our own electricians uh, are intimately involved in our solars. We're one of the largest private solar developers uh, in the area. So yes, we, we believe in that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was a, a comment in the chat from uh, Ken Kraus as well asking that. So thank you for answering. Um, Amanda, it's getting late. We have a couple more comments that you took from the phone or? Uh, yes, just one follow-up question from Tina Rapatino, uh, um, 81 Marshall Street. Uh, she was wondering, um, and she was directing this to Mike of any, um, from the study that you referred to, the two, uh, 2011 study, if you recall, um, like what building uh, was the one that was deemed to be generating the noise? Um, and also she wanted to confirm that she would love to be in touch uh, with someone from the uh, proponent team um, to discuss her concerns. 
So off the top of my head, I don't remember. There are there is a lot of other ambient noise in the area, um, and it was somebody. It was the comment came from somebody on the on the downhill side of North Ave, uh, further away. So it might have been it could have been somebody that was closer to the Whole Foods section potentially um, that that complex there. Um, and as Dennis mentioned, we're happy to have a conversation with um, anybody who wants to reach out to us and further that. Uh, was there anything else, Amanda? I know you were looked like you were on the phone for a little bit. Nope, uh, that was that was it, and no comments over email. Any other comments from uh, board members? So our you know our role as a board, obviously, we're not the uh, approval uh, granting authority here. We are making recommendations to the the ZBA. Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground, so we would, uh, I think, need to uh, get the notes from the community development staff and, and write that up into a letter. I don't know, Alicia, if you think you're able to kind of do a quick summary or not of that. So we have been taking a number of the notes and um, I actually had one sort of in, why don't I read through what we have so far? Um, so what we we jotted down a lot of the um, uh, conditions that we heard the member saying and that we heard the proponent um, feeling amenable to. Um, hopefully we caught all of them here. Um, so I, I indicated it as a bus stop bench. Uh, the proponent would provide uh, seating near the bus stop. Um, that they would be improving bicycle facilities. But I have to tell you that I'm gonna have to verify that this is done and that is no longer uh, clear enough to me that I know what that means. So we'll need to elucidate what that one was. Uh, anybody wanna expand on improved bicycle facilities? Yeah, that was the, yeah. go ahead, Mr. Blake. It kind of depends on, um... If, if the board ends up recommending to go with some of the bike and some of the signal stuff, or the proponent had asked if, if the improvements could be all kept in Medford, then I had suggested you could go even further with the bicycle amenities up Boston Ave. Um, so bicycle amenities means bike lanes and painting. Because in my world, that means bike racks too. Like, I, yeah, so, so bike lanes for that, bike. Yeah, for that specific question, so it would be to enhance the existing bike lanes, uphill bike lanes, with special um, markings at the conflict point, so at every cross street. And then, and then the downhill, it would be to enhance the existing markings by making the sheroes super sheroes. And um, it seems to me, I know I fully understand that the proponent would prefer to keep things where the city has jurisdiction because of the difficulty sometimes of coordinating with the state. Um, but some of these go straight into Somerville. But Todd, do we feel very comfortable that we could uh, facilitate if things needed to be in order to have consistency for the bike markings? I mean, right now it is consistent between Medford and Somerville on by Boston Ave. Um, that we could facilitate that very easily. Yeah, I think so. Um, when when I first arrived here, we coordinated with Somerville, 
to adjust some of the markings approaching uh, the other side, Boston Ave at Mystic Valley Parkway. So yeah, I'm comfortable with that. Um, but you know, with this board or any official approval, it will probably have to have the language subject to DCR and Somerville, but I'm pretty confident. Um, right. And then to get back to the bus, um, the bus bench, is that just one? Because there's a stop in each direction is just the stop on the proponent side or, or the other one as well. So there's a bus stop on both sides. I mean, yeah. I, I think from my perspective, it should be both. If there, Todd, if you feel that there's sidewalk space and the city has the appropriate space on the other side of the sidewalk, I, I assume the proponent hasn't examined that. Or, I mean, there is the buffer. It could be incorporated potentially a bench and ideally some kind of shelter um, on that on the property. Yeah, and as, as far as the opposite side, Alicia, you could write it in such a way that provide a bus, uh, a bench, if you know if accessibility allows, and if not, you know, then it's not their fault. Uh, but I believe a bench will fit on the opposite side. It's up the bus stops up near Harris. Um, yeah, shelters, uh, Mr. Chair. We, we've been we're working on some ourselves, and, and and sometimes they get challenging to fit within the right of way. But as you mentioned, on their side, they may have the space. So. Yeah, if it could be incorporated into the landscaping plan, then that would be great. Should I go on? Um, uh, add pedestrian warning signs. Was there, there was a specific location. So that one, this gets back to, um, uh, sorry for the complicated answers. This gets back to the recommended cap. So, so this, this static, just aluminum fluorescent yellow green warning signs, but there's a next step of enhancement where you could add the LED flashing border, which is a higher cost. So it depends on the menu that's ultimately chosen. If what if we're choosing the menu now, what is the location for the pedestrian oh, sign? So, so there's cross two existing unsignalized crosswalks, one at Harris or near Harris, and one near Irvington. Crosswalks. Uh, Harris and I didn't hear you said Irvington, I believe, Irvington. which is technically Somerville. So the crosswalk is kind of right on the city border, exactly. Depending on Somerville approval, I know we're working on several joint projects with Somerville transportation staff right now. Um, I had approached DCR about improving signal timing at Mystic Valley Parkway and Boston Ave and look into additional signal heads at Mystic Valley Parkway. Um, require occupancy sensors throughout the building. I think that was stated that it is building code, but I think my impression was the board would feel better just saying it explicitly. Um, any exterior lighting will be down lighting. Um, additional trees to shade the patio area, work with the tree warden on the appropriate trees, give height without disrupting the sidewalk and uh, additional sidewalk trees as possible. Um, 
and then either paint the crosswalk across driveway or make the sidewalk look continuous with the sidewalk by making it concrete. And I just wanted to put it that way in case during the construction, the proponent found that they were rebuilding the sidewalk, then, you know, the driveway, it, there would be the option of going either way. Um, rooftop equipment will be lo low noise as possible and will include appropriate noise screening. There was then incorporate the comments from the Board of Health and the Fire Department. Um, incorporate the engineering comments and then the, the traffic portion though, I think we've been addressing separately. And uh, the solar we covered as well. Um, I did want to bring up the, uh, the historic commission letter was really more advice and design and wasn't designed as conditions that they could adopt. There was one thing in there that we didn't mention and that was um, asking that they would use Puff's transportation demand stuff, but I'm unclear that they have the authority to do that as this is not a tough entity. We, in my opinion, we could say that any um, Tufts occupation of the space would uh, use, be part of the tr Tufts transportation demand management plan. And I'm wondering if that would be deemed fair. Anybody have any concerns about that? Uh, well, I mean, I'd like to ask the proponent if they do any kind of transportation demand management on their properties right now. So yes, we um, some of the larger properties that specifically in Beverly, we have a couple of really sizable campuses have TDM plans. Um, the point that th this this size property probably wouldn't warrant something like that. Tough size property kind of does though. I know that they have. We actually spoke with a representative from Tufts uh, about this specific comment. Um, we are separate from Tufts. I suspect, I know Tufts has a, a TDM plan and I know they're potentially in the process of revisiting it now that when the green line comes aboard, it's going to change their TDM plan significantly, potentially. So um, I think, you know, that the Tufts people using our building, I suspect that's part of their TDM um, because it's part of, you know, buildings that they manage or facilities that they're a part of. Um, but I don't know that, again, we're kind of separate from them. So I don't know how um, we don't have much say in how they run their TDM. That's leased, leased there. They don't own that space, correct? Correct. It's all leased. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So how do we, should we just leave that out? Like, so I, my, as I was saying, which letters to incorporate, my instinct was to not include the historic commission as a requirements. Those are not requirements. Those were sort of design recommendations. Yeah, right, I agree. Um, oh, and Tim, I wanted to check about some of your requirements um, some talked about revision of plans, and so I wanted to understand if you wanted to see the revision of the plans, and did we need more interaction with water and sewer 
before we can make our recommendations to the Zoning Board of Appeals? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, I tried to write my comments so they could be recommended. Uh, the, the, the building plan process is when I typically get into the nitty gritties to make sure that exactly what is on the plan is going to be exactly what is built. Um, so it really is up to the board, but I don't necessarily, uh, I, I don't take any exception to plan revisions happening now during this process or plan revisions happening before they get their building permit. In my mind, um, either the, the, the types of revisions on the utilities that I'm looking at, uh, could happen at either level, and um, Todd, if you're if you if you can hear me, if you disagree with what I'm saying regarding some of the traffic and transportation um, conditions, speak up. But I don't think that's the case either. Um, so, and in this case, this board is not making the permit decision; it's a re recommendation to the ZBA. And your letter, Tim's letter, is actually to the chair of the ZBA. Um, so there is still another meeting to have time. I will, the ZBA has advertised their hearing for next week on this topic. Well, Alicia, they're looking to us to guide them in their decision, correct? Yeah. Okay. Right, so our recommendation could be to, to com compliance with the engineering, um, Right, the engineering and traffic recommendations. Um, I think actually Amanda pulled for us, she messaged me in the background, the exact language for uh, the building commissioner's letter is that the community development board will perform a site plan review and submit its recommendations to the ZBA. I think generally the way we do it, I'm just going back to look at some of the notes. We uh, would vote to, to recommend that the ZBA approve the site plan review application with a set of conditions. And those conditions would be our design recommendations. And the ZBA can sort of, can uh, kind of take them or leave them. Because so, it's, it's a recommendation. In terms of Tim's comment with the traffic, since the traffic was discussed at this meeting and the board will ultimately recommend the list that Alicia read off. You know, I could always revise my portion of the letter to the zoning board to say we're in concurrence with what the planning board is recommending since we all just discussed, you know, the menu of options and came to some conclusion that will now be different than what's written in my, you know, original memo. So those were the, the items that we captured in our notes. Um, were there other conditions that board members may have mentioned that I that we did not capture? Okay, we're human. <laughs> not off the top of my head, but generally the look, go ahead, uh, Mr. Vaney. So I just said, uh, and if I don't want to interrupt anybody, if somebody had something to say, I just wanted to go back to one of the, the comments that um, planning director Hunt mentioned regarding our interaction with the DCR and potential signal heads. I think in, in some of the comments from the board members, it was very 
at the very least, if we could engage them about the signal timing as opposed to equipment, I think that's a, a significant difference that I'd like to just put that out here. I think that's a little different than installing new equipment on there. Um, we're comfortable reaching out and seeing if signal optimization can be done with um, minimal pain to everybody. Um, but I think that level of re revising the equipment out there that Rod had mentioned, they're looking at that whole corridor anyway. I think that's probably not something we want to. I would be okay with the, um, just talking about signal timing, optimization, and, you know, checking the yellow and all red and pedestrian interval times as well. Thank you. I want to work with DCR to approve, improve signal timing at Mystic Valley Parkway and Boston Ave. Do you want me to put an and addition? And Auburn and Auburn Street. And those are the two high crash locations. Could I, uh, this is Rod Emery, could I ask a point of clarification? Todd mentioned there's a $20,000 cap on these. So if we have these conditions, one, two, three, and four that are all traffic related, are they subject to a $20,000 cap so that we might only do one, two, and three, or one, three, and four if they amount to $20,000? We need some language about the $20,000, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So that was a recommendation to the board so that because he, Todd did not want us, the board, to require everything on his list. And we're trying to give some guidelines about what would be a reasonable amount of things. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think. Go ahead, Mr. Blake. Sorry. And I just, you know, in my. That was my personal recommendation of it seemed appropriate in terms of the level of impact and the cost, but the board may or may not agree with that. So, you know, that's, and then some of the things that we did discuss, like how far up Boston Ave you go with the bicycle treatments that impacts the cost as well. That's what I was getting at. Depending on the final menu, it could be under at or over that. Okay. And, and I don't want to assume that the board is in agreement with the 20 or not either. So. Yeah. And I, I don't think we're in a position to really, you know, obviously cost these things out and make a decision, but I do think we've had a productive conversation about what, what we think is important. And we've narrowed down, uh, I believe in a way that, uh, the, you know, you guys, the proponents can, can manage. Um, if you disagree with that, then you should probably say that now, but I, I think it's a reasonable set of conditions. Yeah, I'm I do sure. too. I think, um, but I, I, I don't disagree that, there should be some kind of a limit to it. I would hope that the, the board would consider that if we did enough work, if we, we, we made an investment here in something, you know, one of these items is $25,000 and that's the one we're going to do, then that would be reasonable. I think it's a, 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 the approach that um, there's a handful of things that are important. And if we can accomplish all of them, great, uh, with, a, with a reasonable amount of cost. We're for it, but we don't want to be burdened by, okay, this is $100,000 worth of stuff, and that's what we're going to do. I think uh, we'd like the board to consider that the, the $20,000 is a reasonable amount of uh, mitigation for a project of this scope. Relative to pretty much anything else, signal timing is uh, low pretty low cost. So. 
It, it is, but we're gonna we're gonna unfortunately though you're gonna spend money on the the traffic engineers to kind of figure that out, and that's gonna be. Um, which is why we were kind of leaning towards some of the things, as we mentioned at the beginning, some of the things that had real impact. And I know that does, I'm not discounting that at all, but there's going to be cost in that, that, um, and, and maybe that cost is, is worth it. You know what I mean? I just didn't know wh whether it's physical and it is physical. So that that's fine. I think um, some of that money we spent then with engineering and that's, uh, that's okay too. Um, Rod and Mike, is it, Reasonable to think that we could get a, our own internal sense for for the ballpark uh, on these costs between now and the, the time we're scheduled to be in front of Board of Appeals, and that if, if these folks make a recommendation that says they think this is an appropriate scope of work, um, but we'll we'll be able to respond more specifically in our next presentation. Sure, we can come up with we can definitely come up with cost estimates. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think we're in the right ballpark, but we're, you know, this is all coming together and in real time and, and uh, appreciate that everybody really is rolling up the sleeves and, and just talking about, about these, these issues. We're right with you. Uh, we want the project to be a success. In order for it to be a success, it not only has to be, you know, imminently leasable, the market uh, needs to, to want what we're doing but it also has to fit with the neighborhood and has to sit, fit with the rest of the campus. Like I said, we're not looking to create problems. So we are listening. Yeah. I think that's a good suggestion, Mr. Clark. And, uh, you know, we have the opportunity to, uh, to tweak the language a little bit. I can finalize it with the city staff uh, before it goes to the ZBA. So, um, you know, there's some time for you guys to be in that loop still. Thank you. Awesome, Mr. thank you. Sorry, Ms. Uh, Sorry, Andre, I just wanted to piggyback and say, we're definitely not looking to cause you financial hardship, right? But we're also not looking to lowball the community area. So um, just as long as um, we're able to, you know, apply the, the, what makes the most sense there, I think that's what, um, that'll be the best result for all. And, and again, we're not looking to put you in economic hardship, but we're also not in a position to deal with costs at this point. So the more that you can do to help us help you, um, as Andre has already laid out, would, would be most beneficial. Fair <laughs> enough. Thank you. And this and is Christy Dowd. Had... Do you mind if I just make one more point? Just on, in terms of the, um, thank you. In terms of the commercial space on the ground floor, when it comes to the neighborhood, I would encourage you to have more conversations with the abutters and the neighbors and make sure that it's something that um, people also want that there and they, um, you know, would like to have in the neighborhood. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. And uh, to get a local, local independent business if possible. Uh, yeah, Mr. Schrader. Yeah, Christy, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, in, in the industrial district, the ground floor uses that we would like to see there aren't permitted at the moment. So um, if it stays the same, those would actually have to come back um, for approval as a, as a use variance. So maybe we'll get that changed in the meantime. There's some discussion through the recodification process adjusting that, but um, I think we're all in agreement. We'd like to see active, you know, neighborhood friendly uses on the ground floor. And um, uh, we might have to get approval for those when they, when it comes up. Great. Any other final thoughts? 
Thank you. So I, I think we could entertain a, a motion at this time to uh, approve the, the project, uh, recommend to the ZBA uh, site plan approval of the project with the following uh, design recommendations. And those recommendations would be the ones that uh, Director Hunt uh, just articulated and that it would be uh, the language to be finalized uh, by the community development uh, staff um, and approved by the community development chair. Would somebody be willing to make that motion and you don't have to repeat it? This is Jackie Vitale. Since I do not have to repeat it fully, I make the motion. To... <laughs> Anyone want right. to second the motion? Thank you, this is Christy Dad. I'll second. <laughs> Thank you, Christy. Appreciate it. Uh, roll call approval uh, on the motion. Yes is approval and nay is uh, disapproval. Let's see. Kles Andreessen. Yes. Christy Dad. Yes. Jackie Furtado. Yes. Deanna Peabody. Yes. And I'm a yes as well with uh, David Bloomberg uh, recusing himself from this discussion. So it's unanimously approved by the Medford Community Development Board. Thank, Thank you, you all for so taking much. so much time. Thank you all for all the time you've put into this to to echo, echo Dennis's earlier comments. Thank you so much. I know you got more business this evening. Um, so we'll, we'll check out. Thank you very right, much. Thanks. I should say, you know, we didn't actually talk specifically about the design, but, you know, absent the, you know, independent of the scale issue, I think it was, uh, you know, it's a nice design and uh, thank you for putting the time into it. Obviously the fact that it didn't come up meant that it was something that people did like. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all. Good you all night. Have a fantastic evening. Thank you. Too. All right. I know it's a long evening, folks. So there is one more thing we need to do, um, which is a review a bond release request for the Macklin Road Definitive Subdivision. And just to summarize where we are on this, this was a three lot subdivision that was approved with conditions by the Community Development Board. At a hearing on July 26, uh, 2017, we approved a performance bond amount of $600,000, which was reduced to $194,037 last year in 2020, based on the work that was completed at the time at the recommendation of the city engineer. Uh, the applicant has now requested that the bond be released to uh, $5,000, uh, the engineering division has done conducted a site visit and inspection, and they're recommending uh, reducing the bond down to 19,550 um, with that includes some contingency. So let me uh, go to the applicant to present their request. I think that's uh, John Valdina from, and Benjamin Minix uh, from Eagle Brook. Uh, the applicant and Benjamin Minix from Eagle Brook Engineering. So I don't know if, uh, John, you want to take it away. I'll take it. Um, can you hear me okay? 
Yes, we can. Thanks, Benjamin. And uh, sorry for the long night and wait on this. It happens. Uh, thanks for uh, sticking around at the end. I know sometimes um, get cut off, so it's it's good to still be uh, before you. So uh, again, Ben Minix with Eagle Brook Engineering. Um, so we are requesting release of the bond uh, for the Macklin Road subdivision. Um, we presented a letter um, to you as well as Tim McGivern, um, just documenting uh, along with the as-built plan what has been completed. Um, and then Tim McGivern provided a memo in response um, with some outstanding items. Um, and I don't know what the best way to, to do this would be to go through the items on, on each on each line um, or, or how you want to review it. Uh, maybe we could just go to Tim and get his, uh, his feedback on it so we don't have to go through everything. Uh, Alicia, cool. Director Hunt, are you gonna? It seems to me if there are items that you agree with, you just agree and if there are, you know, go through the ones that you disagree with. We, the board, sure. if anything that the, that you agree with and the board is just gonna agree with him if you agree. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds okay. reasonable. All right, yeah, I, I, can, I can go through these quick. Um, I'll just go right down the list with the, the letter from Tim. Um, first one is uh, earth cuts uh, on the sides of the, uh, the roadway. Um, so basically we need to put more loam and seed um, along the sides of the roadway where there is uh, excavation and some um, broken ledge that is exposed. Um, so we, we don't object to that one. We can provide more loam. And Tim, please cut me off if I'm not understanding your comment correctly. Um, I, would, I would say I'm bad on that one. It, you don't, if it's, you know, like that one I put a photo of, I mean, you can feather that in and, and, and put some loam and seed down over it, um, you know, I think the solutions don't just include loam and seed. Um, so generally we're just looking for a smooth transition in the project. Okay. Um, the underground electric service, I'll come back to that one after. Um, uh, number six on the list, it says uh, stop sign. We, um, John has ordered the stop sign, so we're gonna put the stop sign in. Um, number nine on the list, um, the trees, and uh, we needed to get approval from the tree warden uh, for the trees. Uh, four of the six trees were installed. Um, so what happened is part of this project had um, approval with the Conservation Commission. And at that time, um, Dennis McDougall staked out the trees within the conservations area as well as on the street. And uh, so we understood that as those were the, the final trees for the whole uh, project. And so that's what was installed. Um, and then when we submitted the test bill plan, it came back up that we were missing trees and that they weren't approved by the warden. Um, so that's where we stand at this point. Uh, and I, so, I also believe um, not all the species of trees were maple, and that was because um, there was a shortage of maple trees at the time. And Dennis McDougall recommended um, trees with a different root system uh, because of the ledge in the area. Um, so I don't know if anyone wants to make comments to that. I don't believe the tree warden's on the call at the time. So I, I don't know, uh, like Tim or Alicia, what do we do with that? The trees, all I need to see is a piece of paper, a document of some sort from the tree warden saying that uh, the rooting has taken place and she approves of the trees. It's not necessarily about a placement, it's more about um, the, the, the trees are in, in good shape. Okay. And just to address something else that was on the letter is 
the location of the trees, whether it's on the right-of-way side or the, the private property. Um, we were discussing this in the office after uh, we received the comments and uh, the road is still private and two of the lots have already been sold. Um, actually, and it's not maybe not as clear on the as-built plan, but you know, looking at it on a, on a CAD file, I can see that two of the four trees, or excuse me, three of the four trees are actually on the street side of the right-of-way. Um, but even with conveyance of the private lots, those are still under the ownership of, um, you know, the private street, it's not city street. So if the, if the city wants to take those over, then they're responsible to maintain them. So we just would like some direction if, if that is the way the city wants to go, um, you know, that we just come to some sort of conclusion with that. But if we're all set as far as the tree wardens, uh, um, view on the matter, then I guess that satisfies the uh, the issue. Just provide a little bit more info here than Ben did, um, but thank you, Ben. Uh, basically, some of these trees, and I think Ben corrected based off the actual spatial, um, you know, where the trees actually land. So, you know, the the subdivision, the definitive subdivision process required trees to go in at some point. You know. Um, they landed on private property and that was acceptable. Um, well, the, the parcels, the building parcels, and that was acceptable. So now really the question is, um, are these public trees, are they in the, are they going to be in this potentially future public right of way, or are they gonna be on private building parcels? If they're on private building parcels, does the city want to have control over those trees so they're not cut down or whatever in the future? That's, I mean, that's really the, the, the question on the table at the moment. Um, so, you know, because they're trees that are put in as part of the subdivision, uh, this board would be the authority on whether or not <clears throat> those trees become public trees, public assets or not. Uh, there is a hang up here that Ben, you know, talked about that title of the property of the parcels has already changed hands at least once. So, you know, that might pre present a challenge. So I, I don't know, uh, Mr. McGivern, what, is there a decision that we or need to make on that? I mean, we don't really have anything to do with the, you know, how the trees have been cited. Yeah, it's more about the trees are required as part of the subdivision. So you need to put trees in the subdivision. Um, I believe that's part of the regulations of, of this board. So the, instead of the trees being all in the public right-of-way, which you'd normally see in a subdivision, some of them are on private parcels, but they're, they're taking credit for those as future public trees, but they're on par building lot parcels. So the, the building owner can just cut them down if they want. The, the city doesn't have any control over it. Uh, so if, the, if this board is okay with that, then that would be, have to be documented. Um, if the board's not okay with that, then there would need to be a way to, to resolve it. And I, I don't know right. how to resolve it. We can talk about that, but, you know. I mean, I think it's okay with us. I mean, I, I, I don't know how, unless we, you know, turn this into a public way, then I don't see how we do anything else. Yeah, one potential way to resolve it is to not accept the trees that are on, uh, you know, I, without going back and looking at the whole history, you could say, well, those trees don't don't count towards the trees in the way and you, you have them put trees in the way. That would be one idea to resolve it. But I, I don't know, like I said, this is this has more story behind it and, and this this approval precedes uh, me. So 
It's a right. question. So there are, it had required six and through some miscommunication, they ended up planning four. So are there locations in the, the future public space? I mean, sort of assuming in the way where they could put two more trees that would then be public. And along those lines, I am aware that the city owns parcels along this pri private way. Um, we do. So in theory, we could ask for trees on those parcels. The idea is though that there was some amenity to the, the neighbors who lived behind a forest and now they live behind open backyards. Um, I, I think with my um, site knowledge over the last few years, I can speak to that pretty well. Um, the, the city owned parcels on the opposite side of the developed lots, recently developed lots. Um, there's a lot of ledge in that area. So although there are trees there, um, I don't think they are reaching their full growth potential. To, so to, to excavate and put in a tree, I don't think is anyone's best interest on that area. Um, and then the Conservation Commission actually reduced the number of trees they wanted in, in the back towards the wetland area because um, just to put them in would cause more disturbance than to leave the area as it is. And then in order to put in trees along the right of way, um, you only have about three feet of space between the back of sidewalk and the, um, the right of way property line. Um, so you're kind of close in there. So I, I don't know exactly where we'd squeeze them in. Um, But isn't, doesn't the city own some of those parcels, like Alicia he said? Was, he was saying that the parcels that the city owns are full of ledge. And I don't know. I haven't done any construction or test bores or anything. Yeah, I, I mentioned those parcels. They are wooded parcels, so they're already sort of um, woods. They're kind of fully wooded. Like, I, I wonder, is there space for, for trees? Could be, yeah, uh, I, I think you'd be destroying trees to put in trees in those locations. Yeah, and I, I would also add in here to like the uh, the subdivision regulations that pertain to the, the way parcel. So, you know, um, you know, that is the, that is the, the purpose of the, uh, the of the regulation. So, I mean, I think, you know, they planted four and they're supposed to have six and, you know, some are on uh, on. on private parcels and not in the, in the way parcel. Um, so, I mean, I wish I, I knew the full history of how they landed, where the trees landed, where they did. Um, the, the, the board does have the ability to say, you know, your plan has six trees in the, in the, in the right of way. And I'm just gonna look at the plans too. Um, do, they need to, do they need to put the six trees in the right of way or is the board okay with, with the, the not having the trees in the way they're on the building parcels with obviously the risk of the homeowner cutting them down. Does anybody, have a, does anybody have a photo of this I can just put up on the screen? When you look well, at the actually, I, the approved site plans show all six trees on the private lots. Ah, that's what I was looking at. That's what I was going to look for, Ben. Yeah. So that, that's the piece of the history that I don't quite understand. I think it was approved that way for some reason. Um, you know, so I wasn't going to step, I wasn't going to put my fingers in the approval and say, change the approval around. So it was approved the way, uh, you know, the, with, with the, the trees on the, on the parcels. So building parcels. Well, I, I mean, it, it sounds like, like what 
happened happened i mean i don't think there's anything the board really needs to do here on this um, do we need to in writing approve like four trees instead of six trees um it's less about that and more about releasing the bond and are we holding money yeah, for to that um i will say that the city does have what we call a back of sidewalk program where if there isn't sufficient space in a public way for trees and the um residents want the trees and the city would like to put trees in, the city does and the city retains ownership for two years and then the trees uh, revert to the property owners, um, which then I guess what Tim was just mentioning is that it, it means that a property owner could just choose to cut it down um, is the drawback. The benefit is that the property owner is now responsible for the maintenance of that tree. Um, so, okay, I mean, we're just talking about release of the bond. I mean, I'm not sure why we're getting into all this detail here. I mean, it's... It's one of the things that was covered under the, the, the bond. So when we um, do a, a building site plan review, when they meet all the conditions, we sign the occupancy permit. And when they don't meet all the conditions, we don't sign the occupancy permit. Um, in this case, because it's a subdivision, uh, we don't have occupancy permits that we hold over their heads until everything is done to all the conditions are met. We hold their money, um, the bond, until all the conditions are met. So the question is, does this meet the condition that that, uh, that the board had intended? Um, I did just pull up the original written conditions for this. I mean, I, I just want to say, like, as far as I'm concerned, yes, it meets the conditions. The city was involved in placement of the trees and like, let's move on. Right. The, the language in the decision was a tree shall be placed at each lot. That does not state that it should be in the right of way. And it doesn't state that it's on the private property. Um, so actually, at each lot seems to be the condition seems to have been met. Okay, yeah, yeah I, I just, we discussed it, you know, four years ago, three years ago, and, um, you know, I just want confirmation so when uh, the tree warden looks at it, it doesn't come back up and then we're held back another month because of it. Um, right. So for so all it okay be. with how it is. Yeah, chosen the plan. So, Ben, if, if the trees are planned, the tree warden signs off and they, they pull off the estimate because they're there, they, they meet it. So. Okay. so unless any board member speaks up, I'm just going to say yes, the condition has been met. Not much. I, I don't think there's much more we can do at this point. Sounds like it was met at the time of. All right. Do you want to go keep going through the list? Yes, please. Um, new stone bound located uh, sunk beneath the ground surface. Uh, that stone bound did sink again, so we're going to lift that back up um, to grade and then reset the, the drill hole. Um, Uh, I'll skip over the, the driveway aprons. We'll talk about that one in more detail. Um, stormwater system shall be inspected and maintained. Um, I'll do an inspection on the stormwater system as well as get the updated as-built information on the um, stormwater structures uh, for that, that weir that Tim commented on um, later on. Um, the straw waters and silt fencing, we will remove that as well. Um, backup generators. Uh, John, do you have any? Uh, pictures or anything right now, or are you going to submit that um, after the fact for the backup generators? 
No, I don't have any pictures of that right now. I can submit some pictures. I have, I bought generators for all three houses. Um, they have that, they have the panel, everything is hooked up in the back of the house. All they're going to do is just plug in to the panel and plug into the generator and the pumps will pump. And I have seen that for lot one. Um, just haven't looked at it for the other lots. Um, the decorative stone on the side of the roadway. Um, so I, I guess we'd like um, input from the board, uh, whether that's acceptable or not. It's um, come at PL7 um, from Tim Reburn. I, it looks fine to me. It looks nice. I think it's easy to maintain. Otherwise, I don't know who's going to be responsible for maintaining that strip. Uh, does any board member, anybody else care? Yeah. So thumbs up. Okay. Yeah. We, I mean, we kind of think that's the way to go too. I mean, no, none of the um, residents probably want to maintain that. So yeah. that's probably easier. Um, Loman Seed would discuss that. The uh, as-built plan, we'll update that accordingly. And then um, the chambers for each lot, as uh, Mr. McGivern commented, I've already made those changes to the as-built plan um, while we've been waiting. So that's all set. Um, so we'll just go back to the items we wanted to discuss in more detail. Um, so the big one being the underground service for underground electric service for lot one, which is uh, 20 Macklin Road. So lots two and three, uh, which are 30 and 40 Macklin Road, were sold um, about at the start of the time lot one was uh, started, the building was started. So those temporary electric services um, were already in and then underground. So they went up to the pole, the existing utility pole that was there. Uh, then when National Grid came out to connect the service for lot one, because those services for two and three were already up the pole, they installed overhead to lot one. And uh, as uh, detailed by National Grid, they will only allow two vertical service connections on a single pole. So they went overhead for that other one. Now, in order to change that to underground service, we'd have to uh, remove those two service lines on the utility pole. Um, run a main line from the overhead down the pole to a junction box and then run uh, three service lines or connect the two service lines and run one new underground service to lot one. Um, so we're requesting the board um, waive that requirement for lot one since the overhead service is already installed um, just like it is for the existing house at 10 Macklin. Uh, it's about a 30 foot overhead service um, from the pole to the house. Tim, do you have any any concerns with that? No really concerns. It's just it's it's shown on the plan as underground. Everybody's known that it was going into underground, and the difference, the really the, I mean, they're talking about installing a, a junction splice box somewhere, you know, on the ground and having the three services come out of that, as opposed to it. To to be honest here, it's it, it shows a little bit of lack of planning here. I mean, this project knew that all three houses should have underground services. I prefer underground services. I think all services should be underground. Um, but it is a, it's up to the board if they want to waive that. Um, obviously, the, the house has power, uh, and two out of the three homes were done with underground uh, services. Um, you know, 
the you know the plan says all three and i when i look at it i see you know why were why weren't all three done why wasn't this plan for um so that's kind of where i'm at i think they should install that third one if i can say something um when 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 we were going to do underground onto lot one as well national grid kind of trumped on the plans and basically told us we can't, you can only do two per pole. And I mean, National Grid told us that. So they went overhead there. So I just, I mean, if that's the law, that's what they, they didn't tell me anything about a junction box at that time. They just said we can only put two risers on a pole for safety reasons, for climbing, if you have to climb up, whatever, whatever, you know, the other reasons. So they went overhead there. That wasn't my call. I mean, I'm, any board yeah, members have an opinion? I mean, I, we, we have a letter from the house, house has, the house has power. I'm, I'm inclined to just go ahead with it and wave it. I just wanted to speak on that, but dealing with utility coordination, it goes back to what um, Mr. McGurvin has already said, McGivin has already said, it's kind of like a lack of planning because if you're doing utility relocation, or coordination, you're already having those discussions with all utility persons ahead of time. So you didn't find that out until after it was required? That they, when they put the services in, they told us they can only do two underground services. It was only one pole there. And they said, we can only run two underground services from that pole. This last house, it's a short run. So we're gonna go overhead from it. That's what they told me. I don't work for National Grid. I and mean, we have a letter state from the engineer from National Grid that we submitted. Yeah, uh, saying that, Mr. Chair, may I, may I respond? Yeah, sure, Mr. McGeever. Um, John, I mean, you know, I understand what you're saying, but it, but at the, at the same time, I mean, I do this work too. I mean, you, you tell National Grid that you need three underground services, right? And, and so then, so when you told me that they said they couldn't do it, I said, okay, show me in writing. Then the writing that I got from National Grid said that they could do it. They just need to install a junction box. So well. I think what was adding up. I think what no. Well, this is that's exactly the truth. What they said. They I told they saw the plans. They said I said we needed three of three underground services, but they said that they that's what they told me. And then the letter later on by the engineer, whether it is to say that there is an ultimate way to do it, was after the fact when he when when he wrote that letter a few weeks ago when you requested a letter from. Him. So I mean I. I I think, I think we're just at, I think we're just at the point. I think we're just at the point. Well, you know, we agree, you know, the plan said underground service. Um, Correct. That's the case. It's it's is it worth it at this point to dig a trench and do all that work? And it's just the board's decision. And uh, we're at the point it's it's already installed. Is it worth to go back and do it? And that's what we're asking for guidance on. I'm inclined to just let it go the way it is. The power is already installed. It's a short distance, um, but any board members have a strong opinion? One question. There's, the, Tim provided an est a detailed estimates for all of this stuff. Are we, are, is this argument over $2,100 worth of work or would it be more than that at this point? For the underground service? It'd be a lot more than $2,100. Yeah, I, I, I would be really shocked if undergrounding uh, would own $2,100. It's well over. Well, there's a lot of legend there. We'd, we'd have to be blasting this through from that pole to the house. When we put the temporary service, underground service in, there was ledge there. There's still ledge there. 
but that wasn't the reason why we didn't go underground. The reason was for the reason I stated, but it would be a lot more than $2,100 to put underground. Just cost of electric supplies is going to be well over that. Never mind the excavation. Yeah, that was it. I just took our uh, original estimate divided by three, Alicia. So it, it's a 70 foot per linear foot for trenching. Uh, and typically the electrical equipment goes in by the provider. Uh, and then the work to get it in, the excavation, the backfill, this concrete that needs to be poured or whatever, is done by the, the project typically. Just we've Plus. reached over about a million and, and five for just a small project for underground of utilities before, just to give you an idea. So depending on linear feet, um, so it's well over 2,100. <laughs> um, so Class and David, I, I see both you guys unmuted. You want to make any comments, either one? Uh, um, Andres, David, I, I would not waive this. You would not waive it. Class. I'm leaning that way too. And, and Andre, I don't know if you can tell by my questions. I'm kind of leaning back because I'm going back to the no November 20th meeting and also even January. And it's like um, each time there's been some back and forth um, with just some of the city's recommendations from Mr. McGivern. So I'm just, I'm just wondering if this is this is a trend and 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 going back and forth with not wanting to. We've let a lot slide, <laughs> and and I understand that we can't go back and change things from the beginning. But this one right here, six, it, it's big, um, and I don't want to continue to uh, allow things to slide with this kind of impact. I mean, we received, we granted approval based on something, <clears throat> and that's not what was done. Again, that's, that's, I mean, it was what National Grid told us they were going to do. It wasn't, had nothing to do with any of us making any calls on this. Anna or Christy, do you have an opinion? I don't know. It's it's tough. Yeah. I, <laughs> I guess I'm with Andre, and at this point, uh, do you want to go over the other ones and come back to this at the end? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, next one is the driveway aprons for lots one and two. Um, so uh, I believe Tim McGivern um, went and measured the slopes where the sidewalks go across the driveways. Um, so there are no aprons right now um, for those lots. And uh, Tim's comment is that you need aprons to meet the, the cross slope um, for that side, sidewalk across. Um, and then also along with that was another comment about 93 Winslow, which didn't have aprons. And uh, that one was, those were supposed to be provided aprons. Um, so I, I believe John's already um, uh, had discussions with the paver um, 
to get those accomplished. Um, but I guess we just want confirmation on what's going to be required for all, all of the driveways. Uh, I'm just uh, going off um, the not only the detail that's shown on your drawings, but the um, the rules for accessibility. So you know you need to have less than two percent uh, cross slopes on the pedestrian crossings, minimum three foot width. Uh, we we like to see four feet, but um, you know three feet's acceptable. But it needs to be from one driveway to the other, just like the sidewalks. Seems straightforward. Are you? Do you have a problem with that, proponent, applicant? John, John any any comments on that? We're, we're, I'm I'm sorry. I was still thinking about the underground. <laughs> um, yeah. So 90, 93 wins all the existing house. Um, yeah. I mean, we need the aprons there to keep water away. Uh, those are supposed to get them. Um, and so we've worked with the paper, they're gonna get that done. And then the other two driveways, um, it's really not that much. It's, it's only about an inch, two inches of pavement in, um, you know, 20 feet wide, uh, three feet across. So um, since they're already out there for the other ones, it's it's not that much more. Um, yeah, we can take care of to that. Do that. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't fly anywhere in the city. So just so you guys know, like, it doesn't fly. Like, you need to have one, you know, two less than 2% cross slopes on all your pedestrian walkways. Yeah, I understand. Yep. You might as well check. I mean, I just spot check them. So you, it's your responsibility to make sure that they meet it. Okay. Uh, not, is there another one back coming back, back to you? Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Okay. Uh, and, uh, the last, we're just coming back to the, the electric was the only other one. Uh, just, you mean the underground, overground, uh, above ground? That's the Correct. last issue. Um, I mean, we seem to have kind of a divided board on this, um, Christy, Jackie, in which way are you guys falling? Sorry, I'm just reading the summary again. <laughs> I mean, we've seen this project so many times, honest to God, I just want it done. I just wanna like, the electricity is already there. Let's just, I don't wanna see it again. And, and why are we forcing it to, to underground? It, it, was there a, a, an actual, a, a, usually it's an aesthetic purpose, but um, Tim, can you remind us why? There's safety issue. What the benefits to underground services are? No, 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 I know that I just wanted for this one outside of the aesthetic purpose. I didn't know if there was a specific purpose for this one. Um, I would I would ask you that question. Uh, the board, I would ask the board that question. I wasn't here during the approval process. Um, but basically, what I'm going by on is just the endorsed approved plan has underground services for all the homes. Um, I personally prefer underground services. I wish all overhead wires were underground um, mm -hmm. in general. So I that's where I fall on this on this sort of thing. Um, just to kind of give folks uh, an idea of what typically happens in this in, in a situation like this. If a, if a developer is uh, executing a project and they run into something that doesn't meet the plan, especially an endorsed approved subdivision plan, which is as good as regulation, and it doesn't, they can't do it, 
then they, they're supposed to come to the board, have that discussion, and then it gets sussed out then, well, why can't you do it? What's the documentation? Da, 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 I need a waiver. That didn't happen. So it's instead it's 11th hour, I couldn't do it. And then get an email from National Grid that says, well, you could have done it. So, you know, just well, trying to frame well, the picture. So I have a question. I mean, what's the burden to the developer for giving National Grid the easement? Is there, you know, a burden on now the property and does it lower the value? Does it impact the owners of the parcels now? I mean, I don't, I get it. There's some logistics around it, but I guess if, I'm just trying to sway myself one way or another by just gathering a little more facts. Like if it's not a safety issue and it's more of an aesthetic and I understand the board approved it before to be underground, you know, that's one thing, but if it's not a safety issue to have it overhead. Okay. Um, but then what's, does, does the developer just not want to take the time to do it because, you know, we're sort of like at this home stretch or is it a burden? and an impact to the to the value of the land to provide National Grid with an easement. No, it's not a magic matter of me not wanting to put the time to do it. I believe me, I've put the time in, as you all know, over there. Um, <laughs> I'm down down to just me. My partner's got his, his, some issues. He's gone. I've, I've gone to hell and back with this project. Um, I've done everything I, I'm, I possibly can to try to do everything the right way for you guys. I'm new with this. I'm not a big builder. I, I got three kids in college. They're out of college now. I, I, I'm a blue collar guy. So this is all new stuff to me. And what I was told that national grid trumps anything that what they say goes when they came there, they told me that I went with what they said. You're right, Tim. I probably should have said, well, well I'm going to go bring it to the board anyways. We're trying to get the, we're trying to get the last house done. And I just went with what they told me. It's yeah. that's the honest God's honest truth, and it's. I know, John. I wasn't trying to rub you. I was trying to be general and typical, and what would typically happen. I was. I didn't mean to point you out. I understand the situation for certain, and uh, um, and 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 Miss Dowd, just to comment on what you said, there is no safety issue. Uh, it's typically a preference whether it goes overhead or underground. It, it, uh, and then as far as easement, that would depend on where that junction box lands. Does it land in the way parcel or does it land on the building parcel? Uh, if it lands in the building parcel, yeah, national grids will need access to that. Does it reduce the value of the, the property? I don't know, you'd have to ask the market uh, if having a national grid junction box on your property reduces the value, it might a little bit. Um, you know, so, you know, but if it's in the, if it's in the right of way, we have those all over the city, uh, and you know, it's they're usually not that big of a deal. They get serviced every now and then just like a poll. So if it helps, um, Tim is reviewing this from the plans that were prevent, presented to him because he was not the city engineer at the time. I was not the community development director. And actually, if memory serves, very few of you were actually on this board when this was approved. Um, so I did pull up the um, the written, uh, I can't even come up with the words at this point, sorry, the, the written conditions, the, the narrative conditions, and there's no mention of electrical service in the narrative conditions. Um, so I didn't go back to the minutes from that meeting, but, um, it wasn't, one would expect that if they had discussed it, it would have been something called out in the narrative. So it's, 
it's not in the narrative of this at all. If I remember correctly, it was either install another pole or run underground electric. And um, it basically came down and nobody wanted to add another pole to the street. Um, so underground was ran underneath the sidewalk and around the cul-de-sac. Um, it wasn't about the short runs from the wires to the houses. It was more about adding another pole at the end of the street and having a long run from pole to pole. Um, but again, I don't have that in writing. It's just based on my memory of that discussion. So you couldn't run, you couldn't run an overhead service from the existing pole to lot three. It's just too long. You'd have to add another pole at the end of the cul-de-sac. Yeah, I don't recall this being an issue that generated discussion. There was a lot of discussion about a lot of issues. This wasn't one of them. And I just feel like the service is there. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any I notes. I, I, I'm going to agree with that, Andre. I don't have any notes. I have notes on the generator. I have notes on the granite curbing. I have, and, and they've, uh, they've, I don't have notes on this. So I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm with you now. I'm just going to say, just go for it. <laughs> so, and at this point, what we're voting is how far to release the bond. And so based on the conversation we've heard tonight, I've done some calculations. Um, so if we revise, Tim gave us an estimate of 19,000 um, without the six trees, but keeping everything else that he estimated, that brings a total of mobilization and contingency and a total of 12,650 on the bond. If we also drop this portion, the electrical underground requirement, it brings the total bond that we would continue to hold at 10,235. And it seems like everybody's in agreement on the other items. What we did on another location was then we suggested that uh, based on the on the engineer's recommendation, the chair could administratively release the rest of the bond. Um, Tim, did you have anything to add on that? I just wanted to uh, talk about the trees. The reason the trees are still on there is not because of the issue with the property and where they're located. It's because uh, we haven't received sign off from the tree warden on the rooting. Right, right. So, so that just we, said. we would keep right. the six. So you would actually keep the dollar amount until we have the letter from the tree warden saying that she has approved them. That but is my recommendation. To, but we need to indicate to the tree warden that we are okay with four trees instead of six trees, which I think we agreed was okay. So I don't know how we communicate that, um, but if that could be communicated via city staff, that would be great. And Amanda can serve well, send an introduction between the proponent and the tree warden if he doesn't already have that. I, I believe the only I believe the only thing on the plans as far as the tree warden is just to approve the species of maple, um, not not the number of trees. Um, so if we can agree on that, it's just that we need a letter that the the tree warden approves the species of tree, um, and then that satisfies everything. I believe. Tim had mentioned that he wanted the tree warden to approve that they were rooted, that they were not going to die on us. Yeah, yeah that, that's just straight out of our, our regulations. Uh, and I quote, um, a full rooting of the new tree will be required and shall be demonstrated to the satis satisfaction of the tree warden. Straight out of section 8.33 of the subdivision rules and regs. Okay. So 
That's what it's referring to. Sorry. Gotcha. No, I, I just didn't understand. Thank you. So I think for the purposes of the bond, then the trees stay in. Uh, that would be my recommendation, yeah. Okay, and then so we've the, given, I, mean, I think we've, we've given, you know, our kind of approval to the new tree, you know, plan and what's been done there. And then we're just waiting on the, you know, the paperwork so we can release the bond. So I think that's fine. We'll keep that in. Um, I, I think we have a majority opinion now on the board to waive the, the underground um, electricity for house lot number one. Uh, so that can come out. And then what does that bring us to in terms of the bond? That's just the electricity being waived. I'm gonna do the math in a minute. I was just looking to see if the, um, the letter that they requested, if we have an idea of what the total bond is that we're releasing. Um, it doesn't, the letter doesn't mention it. Sorry, I did the math. At 17,135 is the bond that we would continue to hold. So we would release the rest. I honestly don't have in front of me what our current bond is. Uh, it was, it's 194,000 something. Um, so you said, yeah. you, did you say, what was the total again, Alicia? 17135 $17, dollars is that what we would continue to hold and we would release the rest of it. Uh, do we have a motion from uh, a member of the board to release uh, all but 17,154? 35. 35. 17,000. What's that? I will make that motion. Thank you, class. Is there a second? I'll second. Thank you, Deanna. All right, roll call vote. Uh, Class Andreasen? Aye. David Blumberg? Aye. Christy Dowd? Aye. Deanna Peabody? Aye. Jackie Furtado? Aye. And I'm an aye as well. Uh, board approves unanimously, uh, releasing all but uh, $17,035 of the bond. And does the board want 
them to come back to, to have the that last 17,000 released? Or do you want to do it administratively with him approving, well, and us, between us, approving that they have com- completed everything on this list and then the chair signs off on it? I think it should be done administratively uh, for such a small amount of money. I second that. To make a formal motion on that, uh, Alicia, or I, I think you do. I, th- I think you should just vote right now to, to give permission to do it administratively. Okay, to release the rest of the bond administratively, um, subject to chair approval. Is there? Will someone make a motion? I will make okay. a motion. Thanks, Class. And I see Jackie second. I second. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, roll call vote, Class Andreasen. Aye. David Blumberg. Aye. Christy Dowd. Aye. Jackie Furtado. Aye. Deanna Peabody. Aye. And I'm an aye as well. Uh, uh, motion passes. Thank you. Appreciate everybody's patience with this and uh, thanks for waiting so long, um, John and Benjamin. Uh, Thank you guys. Ladies. Thank you. And um, uh, Tim, I guess we'll reach out to you for a final inspection and I'll resubmit the as-built uh, plan uh, when everything's all set. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Everyone. Great. Thanks, everyone. All right. Good night. All right. Uh, I think we can continue the next item on the agenda. Um, to review and approve the revised rules and regulations of the Medford Community Development Board governing organization and procedure. Uh, If nobody has a problem, let's just continue that to the next meeting. I see some thumbs up, excellent. And then miscellaneous, uh, can we also continue this or is there something that we need to uh, address here, Alicia? I was just just going to tell you um, you guys had approved BJ's. You may have seen that their gas station permit was denied by the council. That is now um, being appealed through the courts. So they're going to need an, an extension of the permit from this board because they had one year to begin construction. Their permit's going to expire in September. So on, on the next hearing, that'll come in front of you. And I think the other thing is that um, the CD board terms that I, um, things that just, the mayor didn't have time to address this while we were dealing with the budget. Um, I've made some recommendations to her. We also got legal counsel formally informed us that everybody's term, you, you stay a member, you stay your position unless somebody else is appointed in your place. And so holdover, it's a very standard legal thing with boards and commissions. Um, so we weren't concerned about everybody or half of the board expiring. Um, the mayor plans to have, I've made recommendations to her and she plans to get back to me about her, recommend, her what she's going to do by the end of this week. Um, so, Alicia, I have a question on that for myself. So say, for instance, the governor, um, I mean, because mine doesn't um, expire until the mayor's term expires. And maybe I know she's running again, but I'm just wondering, I'm sort of in the crossroads um, and I just, should I just sit still? But even if it did expire in January, do I have to scramble to try to figure out 
my next, I, I just don't know. <laughs> Since you're appointed by the governor, I don't know how that mechanism worked, um, but I assume things at a state level take time. If we wanted to put in, sort of initiate that process now and not wait till January, I think that would be a very appropriate thing to do. If you wanted to be reappointed by the governor, we should initiate that process. If you do not want to be reappointed by the governor, then we should begin a process to have a new appoint appointment made in your place. Okay. But we can discuss that offline either okay. this week or in three weeks. I'm going on vacation on Saturday. Okay. Thank you. Everyone, I'm sure. Um, all right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, sorry this was a long meeting again. I know we had a string of them earlier in the year, and we kind of decided to avoid that. I think, um, you know, I've talked to the CD staff, and this was a little inevitable, but, um, you know, I've asked them to that we'd rather have uh, an extra meeting during the month than have a long meeting like this, and uh, limit it to one public hearing per, per meeting. So just so you know. So thanks for your patience and for hanging in there so late. Thank you. Uh, is there a motion to adjourn the meeting? I will make a motion. And second. Thanks, second by David. Thank you. Uh, roll call vote. Klaus Andreessen. Aye. David Blumberg. Aye. Christy Dowd. Aye. Jackie Furtado. Aye. Yenna Peabody. Aye. I'm an I as well. So meeting is adjourned. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Bye Thanks. Bye. The recording has stopped.